Uh, Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 13. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's located on page 900. Today's sermon's going to feel a little different because the reason that I want to talk about what we're going to talk about today is I saw a video And it just spoke to me and convicted me in a lot of ways. And so I'm going to be quoting from that video a little bit, um, but also to where the speaker uh, pointed himself to and his church to and where I think we need to point ourselves to in our church. Uh, So again, it might have a little bit of a different feel this morning, but that's, that's why. I want to start with this question. What causes a pastor who is working at a successful Bible-believing megachurch of 5,000 to leave? It caught my attention, too. I was was online, and I saw this sort of clickbait uh, article name. article said this, Francis Chan to Facebook employees... Why I asked God to make me rich and why I left my megachurch. Rarely do we see anyone go from bigger to smaller. And that's even true among pastors and in the church world. In fact, with church attendance, rarely does someone say, you know, I need to go to a smaller church. So when it does happen sort of makes us pay attention and to see why. Because when it's out of the normal, we have to see what made someone choose the abnormal. Francis Chan had the opportunity. He is a pastor and author. He wrote books that you're probably familiar with, Crazy Love, Forgotten God, to name a few. And he got the opportunity to speak at Facebook, which is a pretty cool thing. And because it was on Facebook, it had to be recorded and put on the Internet. That's just sort of a rule for everything they do. But he spoke to the concerns he had about not so much the theology of the church, the doctrine, the beliefs of the church, but a theology of church in how to do church. That when he looked out at the church he was pastoring and he looked at his Bible, he said, they're too different. Something has to change. And so he left. Started a new smaller church in the San Francisco area. What he spoke to was a model and a mindset of church that overemphasizes or limits our Christian life to the Sunday morning service and limits our Christian life to always being on the receiving end of the services of a church. A model and a mindset of passivity rather than active obedience. And while, as he points out, this can happen at larger churches, all churches are not immune Even the smallest of churches can fall into this faulty mindset of what the Christian life 
is. And so today I want to point us to the passages that Francis Chan pointed himself to and his listeners to, and I want to create a standard of the Christian life and a church that we need to be. And it's not one of merely attendance, of merely receiving, but it is one of active obedience and sacrifice. So today as we look at these verses, as we hear from Chan and some of the quotes I will give from him, we're going to see this big idea, again, if you're following along in the outline in your bulletin, you'll see it there. To be the church God wants us to be, we must love and serve sacrificially. Now let me say one more caveat as we begin looking at the text this morning. I'm not going to tell you anything new this morning. But what I want to push us to is to actually do what we know. And I want to put in front of us a goal of what we should be, both individually and as a church collectively. Because I think it's what God wants, and I think it's what his word says. And when I'm different from what God's word is, I'm the one who needs to change. So let's look at our first text. John 13, verses 34 to 35. Follow along as I read. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. First comment I want to make is about why Jesus calls this a new commandment. In one way, the ideas here are not new. As many things of Jesus, he often spoke from the Old Testament. And he wasn't pulling a rabbit out of a hat with this commandment. It wasn't that God had never told his people to love one another before. But the commandment is new in the sense of it is going to be connected to Jesus, as we're going to see in a few minutes here, as the standard. And as Jesus is about to die, in John 13, the crucifixion has not happened yet. The resurrection has not happened yet. But in John 13, Jesus is preparing his disciples for life after him. And so in that sense, it's a part of the new thing, the new church that is going to be created through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I just wanted to clear up any confusion on that because I think that leads to why we misunderstand the Old Testament so much. Well, it was new, telling people to love. Well, I guess God didn't tell people to love in the Old Testament. False. Stop it. Okay. So the command is to love one another. Notice it's not, hey, if you get around to it, love one another. Hey, I got a suggestion for you. If you could, if you could love one another, that'd be great. That'd be, that'd be nice. It's a command. So we need to do it. Again, there's some simplicity here, but again, often our problem is not knowing what to do, but actually doing it. So we need to be reminded that this is a command, a requirement, not an option. 
Not saying, hey, if you get around to it, that'd be great. So the first is the command. One author has written this about the command. The new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. We all know what it says. The question is, will we do what it says? Francis Chan, in speaking about this verse, when he looked out at his church and how they did church, the mindset and the model that they had, he joked, our people don't even like each other. And that outside of the stand up and greet your neighbor on Sunday morning, we liked people if they were like us and we picked little cliques. See, if, if church is just Sunday morning service, you don't really have an opportunity to love one another outside of pleasantries and hellos. Again, there's a problem when we limit the Christian life to attendance at a service. It's central. God's people have always gathered for worship and the hearing of the word preached. It is central, but it is not only. When Chan looked out at his church, he did not see an active love for one another. We need to see that there is an active love. It's not a sentimentality but it is a love that is involved in community. But what does that love look like? Because we could say, I love one another, and we could have a million definitions of what that is. So to have some clarity, let's look at the rest of the verses. What does this love look like? Look at verse 34 again. New commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as, okay, here's the hint, Here's your model, just as I have loved you. Now, to be clear, this is Jesus talking. So just as Jesus loved the disciples, in the same way those disciples are to love one another. Now, first of all, we need to be humbled by that standard because Jesus is God incarnate, second person of the Trinity. And if you think you've arrived at his level of love, you are incorrect. So it is a lifelong, maturing, loving process. But the other thing, and the disciples didn't quite understand it here, because, again, John 13 comes before the crucifixion. But the book of John was written after the crucifixion because it includes the crucifixion. That's how we know. It's a big hint. So when John's writing this, there is an added meaning. There is a deeper meaning of not only was Jesus incredibly perfectly loving as he lived his life on earth, but his love showed itself most poignantly in the cross. How did ultimately Jesus love his disciples? He died for their sins. He took the punishment 
that they deserved. Romans 5 speaks, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is a sacrificial component to love. That one way you know that you have actually loved someone is that regularly it will cost you. It will be a sacrifice. And I think that is often the tough pill to swallow. Because we want even love to be easy. I mean, you look at the idolatry of leisure in our culture and oftentimes in our churches. Sacrifice is the antithesis, often, of that leisure. We don't want to take the time to sacrificially love somebody. We don't want to be burdened with that, so we don't do it. But that's the type of love that Jesus showed. And that's the type of love we are commanded to do. Now, the third part of this command, I think, is sort of the razor's edge of it all. Look at the last part of, 20, of 35 there. By this, that is loving one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. We are to be people of active sacrificial love so much that people identify us by it. Think about your reputation. What would people say about you if you weren't in the room? Jesus is saying one thing they should say about you is that you're loving, even when you're not there. And this is where I think the razor's edge is. Do I love so regularly and sacrificially that people actually describe me in that way? There's a lot of ways people have described me over the years. Some I cannot repeat from the pulpit. But what Jesus is saying is that if we are followers of him, people should know us by our love. That means we're doing it a lot, to put it over simply. <laughs> we need to be in, in our life of the church, in our life out in the community. We need to be loving, actively and sacrificially. So that means we can't be isolated either in our church or out in the community. Because love has to be done to someone else. Right? To, to show love, you're actually showing love to someone else. And that's who we need to be. This is the standard of a Jesus-sacrificial, active love that defines who we are. So do I love to the extent that people know me by that love? That's the question. Or do I take the easy route and not engage 
and not love. Let's look at the second mark. So if, if sacrificial act of love is the first mark, the second one is the using of spiritual gifts in service. So let's flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're using the chair Bible, it's going to be on page 959. I'm not going to read the whole thing because there are time limits on this, people. So I'm going to look at two sections in particular. So 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start verses 4 to 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I want to go back to what Francis Chan said about this passage as, again, a part of his decision to leave he said, quote, according to the Bible, every single one of these people, meaning the members of his church, has a supernatural gift that's meant to be used for the body. But as he looked out on his congregation, he said this, and they are just sitting there quietly. <laughs> he continues, if the mouth is the only thing that is working in the church, and he connected himself as the pastor to the mouth, and I am trying to drag the rest of the body along, chewing on the carpet, what would a body look like where everyone's using their gifts and everyone's eagerly pursuing the spiritual gift like 1 Corinthians tells us to do? There's a mindset about the church service. There's a mindset about the life of the church that just says, I come, I listen, and I leave. And that's not what the Bible says. Now, as I talk about service today, I want to define that a little more precisely. So there are multi-levels of service that we're called to do. The first one is the service for this church, the service within this body, helping other members, some of the programming we do, helping out with MOPS, AWANA, VBS. These are all ways of serving. Visiting someone who's sick in the hospital, that's a way of serving. So there's service there. But then there's also the service out in the community. There's volunteering for community groups. There's, there's sharing Jesus with your neighbor. These are all types of service. And I think that's one of our problems is we limit what service is. But so we need to enlarge that category of what that means. So that said, let's look at what God is telling you about your spiritual gifts, if you're a believer in Jesus. Okay, so let's look at verses 4 to 6. That Everyone has a spirit-empowered gift. Notice the repetition in these verses. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everybody. Notice the threefold repetition there. That's to knock it into our thick heads. 
Okay, so the truth, first truth that gets repeated three times, there are a variety of gifts. So that means you are particularly gifted to do what God has called you to do. You. So there is some work, some service that God has said, this is the service that I have set aside for you to do, but not for this person to do. So it's yours. Don't try to give it away. Or don't let somebody do it because it's yours to do. There's a variety. You don't have to have the same gifts as others. I think that's another lie that we believe. We see somebody doing something, we're like, man, if only I was that person. Well, guess what? You're not that person. I was listening to a lecture once by one of my professors, and he was being interviewed, and he was asked, don't you wish there were more Jonathan Edwards? More people who had his intellect, but also his love of the local church. And my professor answered this. He said, yes and no. That would be great if God did that. Jonathan Edwards had a great ministry to many people in the early parts of our country's history. He says, but not everybody's Jonathan Edwards. And we're not supposed to be. Because Jonathan Edwards was Jonathan Edwards. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be the person sitting next to you. But while there are various gifts, what we see is that every gift is empowered by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we look at a need and we say, I could never do that. And maybe you are entirely correct. But what the Bible says In one sense, you don't need to worry about it because you have the Spirit of God working through you. And that's not a small thing. The God of the universe has empowered you by His Spirit to do what He's called you to do. Therefore, you can do it. And don't worry about it. Don't let worry keep you from doing what you're supposed to do. The other thing I want to say about this is that sometimes we limit our understanding of spiritual gifts to innate qualities or abilities. And that's definitely part of it. There are skills that God has given certain people so that they can do certain things. Yes and amen. Here's the problem, though. We come to a problem, and we don't exactly see how we fit in the solution, and we're like, I guess it's not my spiritual gift. I don't have to do it. And we use spiritual gifts as an excuse not to do something. That is also wrong. So we need to, again, expand our understanding of spiritual gifts. It very much includes abilities and innate qualities that you have and you've been given. But it also includes opportunities and needs. 
that God has put in your life. The neighbor down the street who's never heard of Jesus. That is an opportunity where God will empower you to fill that need. See, we can't let we can't let a small view of the Spirit keep us from being obedient. I think sometimes we use the Spirit and spiritual gifts as an excuse to do, not do something we don't want to do. And that is completely antithetical to this idea that the Spirit of God has empowered us to actively serve. Why are we using him as an excuse? He doesn't want to be used as an excuse. He wants you to serve. The second truth that goes along to this one is that everyone has a gift. Everyone has a spirit-empowered gift. But in verse 7, we see the purpose of that gift is to serve others. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. God doesn't give you spiritual gifts so you can hold on to them and put them in a little box and keep them and wrap up the box into a nice little paper thing and make it look like a present. See, just like loving, serving always needs another person. We're always serving others. And notice that's part of the problem with this, this mindset, this model of church that Francis Chan identified was it's a model that only cares about me and doesn't care about you. If I just go and I attend and I hear and I receive, I'm filled up, I've checked off my box for the week and I can go. Problem is you've neglected everybody else. And too often we view this as optional. But according to Jesus, it's not optional. This is part of the problem. We think that this is all about us when really, yeah, it, it, it is for us. We worship. We, we, we confess our sins. We find forgiveness in Christ. But it's not optional to, as a part of this community, as a part of being God's people in God's world, it's not optional to not love and serve others. See, this helps us understand that our faith is more than Sunday morning. Our faith is every day of the week. And we must be actively loving and serving others. And the way that Paul helps us understand this is he does, gives us a very vivid metaphor, a very vivid picture of the life of the church. And that's in verses 14 to 20, where the church is compared, God's people is compared to the human body. Follow along as I read 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
So it's, it's, your relationship with God is more than just your relationship with God. It is a personal relationship, but it's not an individualistic relationship. There's both an individual identity with Christ, but there's also a corporate identity with Christ. Just as the liver is its own thing, but it's part of the whole. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Just like the human body, each member of God's people has a place and a function. Okay, think about the liver. If the liver was in your skull, there would be something wrong. It has its place. It needs to be where the liver goes. Okay, the liver also has a function. If you tried to think with your liver, it wouldn't work. Yeah, sometimes... <laughs> Everyone fill in your own joke on that one, thinking with your liver. That's another sermon, okay? You guys can write that one later. Just like the human body, only when all the parts are in their place and are working correctly do you have health. There's a long saying that's been around the church for a while that in the average church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Can you imagine if only 20% of your body worked? There's no way that you'd be healthy. So why would we expect a church to be healthy if only 20% is doing their work? Let me say, because I don't do this to chastise you. So let me hold up a very, very recent positive example of this. If you were here for, at all for VBS, we were a functioning body. One of the reasons I love VBS, not just because we are able to share the gospel with kids, that's an amazing part, but when I'm here and I look at VBS, it's a great example of what we should be doing every day. Everyone has their little part. And when all the parts work together, it is joyful and great. Many hands make light work. You see this in mops. If you've ever been a part of mops, you know everybody plays their little part, and it comes together, and it's awesome. But that's what we need to be like every day. I want to hold this up as, as a goal, as a vision of what we should be, what we should always be pursuing, knowing that this side of heaven will never complete it. But we need to run after it, not mosey towards it.
See, here's, here's part of the problem. As I've been in churches, both as a pastor, but also just attending churches, here's what I notice. Whenever things get busy, or chaotic, or we're not happy for one reason or another, the first thing to go is serving. Why do we give that up first? Or, or there's a culture in our churches where you'll go to this church for one thing, this church for another thing, this church for another thing. Guess what? Usually, nine times out of ten, 99% of the time, what's missing from that family is serving. Because they're just going to the different places and receiving. Yes, receive at church. Hear the word preached. But that's, that's only part of the story. See, real community happens when we both receive and we give. If we're only receiving, it becomes unhealthy. It's like just constantly eating 24 hours a day. Do you think that's going to be healthy for your body? We must be committed to active service and love in the church, outside of the church, every day we live. Let me close with a couple applications here. Number one, following Jesus is more than Sunday morning. As long as God's people have been around, there is always a regular worship service. And that is always central to who we are. But the Christian life is more than that. It's more than that. That is central, but it's more than that. It means being involved in real community, loving community, and serving. Number two. Use your gifts and rejoice when others use theirs. Everyone has a gift. Everyone needs to use that gift. A couple subpoints on this one because I think it's a big category for us. Number one, if you don't know where to start, start by doing something. It's interesting, a lot of times a church that's in, near, in a seminary town they'll have this influx of young guys who want to just jump right in and get in the pulpit right away. And a lot of churches that live in these cities will make them all do nursery first. And it's brilliant. So if you don't know where to start, may I suggest nursery? There's a lot of things. I'd love to talk with you about that. But, but if you don't know where to start, start somewhere. Maybe it's going over and having coffee with another member. Maybe it's visiting someone you haven't seen for a while, or maybe someone who's sick. Start somewhere. Do something, and the rest will follow. Another one, don't feel bad when you don't have a gift that someone else has. Sometimes we want to be other people. It's okay that you're not. You don't need to be that person. And that's okay. Thirdly, don't get mad when other people don't have the gift you have. 
Sometimes we get upset when people aren't doing the things that we like to do and that we think they should be doing, but God has given you that gift for you to do it. And so it's okay that they're not doing the thing you're doing because that's the thing you're doing. Number four, your gift doesn't always need a title or a program. One of the reasons we do some programs but not as many as we could is because there's a balance between relational living out the Christian life and utilizing programs to do that. So we do mops, we do awana, we do small groups, we do Bible studies. But we don't do as much as other churches because that's only part of the work. And just because your work doesn't have a title or a program connected to it doesn't mean it's any less valuable. And lastly, under this one, abusing your gift, when you do take a break, because those are necessary at times, it's necessary to have a rest. Make it a time of rest, not retirement. Let's talk a little bit more about that one because I got some nervous chuckles. (laughs) If you do take a rest have a plan to come back, the plan can always change. Or maybe you transfer. Maybe you transfer to something different. I've had some conversations uh, with some of you about, you know, I'd, I'd like to help out with Wana, but just physically I can't do it. I totally understand. There's a time when the body just, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But don't let that end what you're doing let that transfer you to something else. But keep working. You don't retire from the Christian life. Last two, last two applications here. Are, are you known for your love? What a great question to keep at the forefront of your heart. Do people know me? Do people identify me as a loving person. That one you could ponder for the rest of your life. But it's an important one to have. And then fourthly, in our service and love, remember that there, there will be times, there will be normal part of our life is to sacrifice like Jesus. When we are loving and serving, it won't always be easy and we need to get that expectation out of there. Because Jesus compared the love that we're supposed to have to his sacrifice on the cross. And so we must be ready and welcome sacrifice. We can't let hard work keep us from good work. So let me close with this. I don't want to discourage you this morning but I want to hold up a standard of who we need to be as a church. These are commands. God has said, this is how my people act. And we both individually and corporately as a church need to to pursue this. We need to pursue that daily I am loving, daily I am serving, 
And that is the way that we, we worship God with our lives. And we don't limit our worship of him, our relationship with him to, to passive receiving. But we live it out in our lives every day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for John 13 and 1 Corinthians 12, that we would pursue a life of daily love, a life of daily obedience and serving of others. That we would not be content with just receiving from others, but that we, like you, you did not come to serve, but to be served and to give your life as a ransom for many, that we would follow your example, that we would sacrificially love and serve one another. I pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen.